Welcome to DCW Group's podcast, a podcast focused on life, business and property. We cover a wide range of topics related to both personal development, entrepreneurship and of course property. In this season we have focused on talking about achieving balance and innovating for success. We have some amazing guests who bring a very different spin on this great subject. I have one request from you. Please like and subscribe to the channel. This will help us keep creating some great hard-hitting content. Thank you. Hi again, welcome to the DCW Group Pro, uh, Property Podcast. Um, this is segment three. Um, we've had some stunning guests so far. So we've had uh, Jane Brewer from 2B Enterprising, Lucy Cohen from Mazuma Money. And today we have been graced with the presence of Darren Haynes from Pontypridd Football Club. Hi, Darren. Welcome. Thank you, Dean. Thank you for the invite. So today what we're going to do, Darren, is we're going to go into delve a little bit more about who Darren is. Um, both business-wise as well as personally. Um, we're going to talk about some uh, sort of values in business and um, trying to balance sort of personal life and business endeavours. And then we've also got quite an exciting question that Lucy, one of our previous guests, has asked or asked for you to answer. So we'll we'll dive straight in. So take, take me through about um, who you are, Darren, uh, what you've been doing in your career and and a little bit of background between sort of ex- expertise and experiences. I didn't know if I should start by saying I'm a Gemini. Um, <laughs> so my main background, I began as a PE teacher and then realized after two years of that, that if you can talk to young adults about bodies, body parts, you can talk to anybody about anything, which then threw me straight into sales, straight into the marketing aspect of how I can help sell a building, sell properties, sell whatever it is the product is. So then you fast forward that from the early 2000s to where we are now, which is basically I've been involved in the refurbishment business for approximately 20 years, um, mostly commercial with hospitality, some residential when helping others, and then falling in in bed with Pontypridd United, which is where we are today in the Welsh Premiership, working well. It, it's basically... Everything I do or everything I've done has been with a commercial aspect to it of if I can help some people to help us, we can then help them back, which then involves us and them in many projects, which happens to be mostly in property. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. And a little bit about you outside of that, that, that work element. What, what, what makes Darren tick? Hiding what makes me tick. <laughs> um, so I, I find myself an anomaly where in the sales world, in the football world, it's all about being the extrovert, being seen, known, liked, not liked, but known. The real me doesn't do much of that. I like to walk the dog. I'd rather go and watch my kids play sport sometimes than doing other things. Um, where I get invited to some events, I go to them, but the real me is that as long as my kids are happy and safe and my dog gets her walks a day and she doesn't attack me, I'm fine. So I, I look at family comes first in everything. So if ever I have a meeting involving anybody and they mention the word I can't do it because of family, it doesn't matter. So the kids and the dog now. <laughs> Any hobbies in amongst that? I wish. So I'd love to say I still play football, which I do. But as you get older, it's a little bit less and a little bit less frequent. But 
football is literally taken over my life, both in work and outside work, because my children play sport, so I watch them. I play football, I make more friendships. It keeps me away from the commercial aspect of football while still enjoying the bravado, the fun, the getting together with friends. But Excellent. I do love traveling with the kids. Most of my life is either with kids or thinking about what I can do next with the kids because at some point, they're not going to care. So until they don't care, I'd rather care. Absolutely. Moving on to the second segment, it's, it's always an interesting question that we've had some very interesting answers to from um, from our previous guests. There's, a, there's a, always a big sort of stigma when you're senior leaders of businesses where they try to balance both their personal life as well as their business endeavors. Now, obviously, with, you know, with, with what you do with, with, with both Ponty and, and your consultancy businesses over the years, how do you balance it? I'd like to say well, but sometimes we don't. What I did when it was first myself as a single parent with children, I would take them on holiday and my initial balance was, I will never answer a call, but I will answer emails and texts. Back in the day on the Blackberry or the page or wherever we had. <clears throat> but I would never take my initial concentration off what I was doing, which was on a holiday, on a weekend. But I'll always answer people because from the sales background, the commercial background, if you leave something too long, it could affect other people's lives, other people's business. So I had to find that fine line where I will work at any hour of the day, but I will make damn sure there's always time for the other Darren or the other Darren family. But it's, it is hard sometimes. You do end up working till gone midnight. I'd rather do that and have a lie-in because I know my kids won't be up early either. So I'll just work late, get everything done, knowing I'll get a few hours tomorrow to do things that I would like to do. But always being available if I get a call so as even now, my phone's now gone on silent because I know I'll get something. But by the time I've left this building, I'll have answered everybody because in my head, if I leave it, I could be affecting other people. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So obviously we, we come across a lot of business people in um, good and bad in, in, in our industries. And, you know, sometimes, you know, especially in the current economic climate, the the business landscape is extremely difficult, um, both from sort of both raising finance and then um, physically actually winning contracts, etc. Um, how do you integrate both personal values and uh, into those day-to-day -day business practices? So the biggest, it's a little bit different because sales slash commercial is always that little bit different because you have to have a certain mindset to make it work. You mentioned about in this landscape. It's been hard for a few years to win lots of contracts because there haven't been contracts out there. It's been hard because more people were taking redundancy, having money available. You'd go to look at a house viewing and there'd be 36 different people bidding on a house because they have nothing else to do, because they, they want to do something to start on that ladder. So my personal values would be that as long as you're being honest, as long as you're putting forward everything you can to make it work for everybody. It used to be a lot about I and me in sales. Now I'd rather make it about the power of the we because if everybody's content and everybody's happy, there's more chance of you getting repeat business. And it's more about, it's the honesty, it's the trust, but it's also durability. So if you get knocked down, live with it, learn from it, move on from it, and then try and win the next one. And I was just talking to a friend not long ago, Phil, and we were talking about 
how we look at pipeline. Well, my pipeline is probably two years ahead. I, I've looked at today. I've looked at tomorrow. I've looked at six months. But in six months, I need to look at the next two years because I need to be looking to achieve more and more, not just for me, but whoever I work with. Yeah. I, I find with, um, you know, we we have a spine uh, a spine in in DCW that that sort of shapes all of our all of our messaging and and our day to day practices. You know, credibility is is high up on that list as you mentioned, um, and then that that sort of knowledge and that professionalism. Now, you know, from a knowledge perspective, you know. We, we, you know, crikey, property is is one of my my things. You know, twenty one years in the industry, I like to think that I know surely what I'm talking not, about. Dean, surely, twenty one years, wow. I know, I know, I know. I don't look it, Darren. I know. <laughs> happy thirtieth birthday! <laughs> no, I recently just turned forty, actually. So you know, that uh, I I started way back when, when you know, times were probably just before the first crash, um, and what we've found along the way is is you start to shape. You start to shape your own business in in a certain way by learning all of the things that weren't particularly great. You know, I, I was at corporate for a long time, and don't get me wrong, there's some there's some great bits of corporate that you look at and you think, yeah, actually, we could keep that, we can retain that. You know, operationally, process, you know, that that sort of stuff is very very good. But then there's equally there's things within the corporate the the corporate run that is, you know kind of not really needing to be there now have you ever experienced on that corporate side have you always been sort of you know small to medium or have you have you have you been at the corporate level before with regard the the firms i've been with i've i've worked for queen's moat house for two years as a sales manager so we had 42 hotels in the estate yeah so i worked as a sales manager for one but obviously dealt with other hotels um other than that, most of them have been companies ranging between four to twelve million. Right. But Queen's okay. Moat was a very large, yeah, big entity. Yeah, yeah, it was a large juggernaut, and we were involved as the whole new sales force coming in at the time to basically move them forward to then allow them to do a sale five years later. They needed us to make them worth more money, which is what we did, and then they sold. Yeah. So, have you what? What's your learnings from that? What have you What have you taken from that to try and implement into? your day-to-day role now at, at Ponte? The biggest thing, it's, it's not don't be afraid to fail, but don't be afraid to ask others to help. And don't be afraid, if that helps you not fail, like we have a meeting tonight with some of the players from the group just because they want to talk about certain aspects. And I've told most of them, will I know every single answer tonight? Probably not. But I'm taking a few people with me that can answer those questions and if we cannot answer those questions tonight, by tomorrow, they will have an answer. Because you need to be aware that even if you are at the top of the ladder, halfway down the ladder, at the bottom of the ladder, everything you say and do is important to make the whole entity move forward. And it could be that somebody midway in the ladder might have some fantastic ideas. Don't be afraid to take them on. So we have committee groups on WhatsApp. We have board groups on WhatsApp. We have owners groups on WhatsApp. I sometimes take things from the committee group into the board and the owners and say, this has come from this person. I think it's fantastic. So as long as you're willing to take on board what others say, I'd rather collaborate than dictate. And that's the way it should be. The only time you dictate is if you know you've got a really good thing to say and you know it's for the good. Yeah, absolutely. So moving moving on to um, Ponty Football Club specifically, 
Um, take me through what Ponty is about, what what the goal is, what you know, what's the the path? Where where do you want it to get to? Is it going to be a another Wrexham? No, right. I'd love it to be, but unless you've got a Ryan Reynolds down the back of your sofa, that's not happening, unfortunately. Um, in Welsh football, the way the pyramid works, we are now at the peak of that pyramid. Are we the best of that pyramid? No, but we're one of the top 12 teams in Wales. To be sustainable at that level, you need to grow and compete with the top, top teams. To do that, you need to have a steady growth. What we at Pontypridd United did was we had a five-year plan, which in year one came to fruition. So when Paul, myself, so Paul's the chairman, Matt's the vice chair, we all sat down working on, let's have a five-year plan to reach the Welsh Prem, be sustainable in the Welsh Prem, and then push on. And when I say push on, it is the higher you get, the more chance of European football. And then within six months, we were top of the table. So we ended up finishing second, but due to tier one licensing, we were able to go up. But it was a very fast learning curve. So our pathway for the men's team is to remain in the Welsh Premiership. We then have the women's team who have been in the Welsh Premiership for longer than the men's team, but they had a name change after a couple of years from Kincoid Ladies to Pont Breathe, which means they're now still within it under our umbrella. Having those teams in the Welsh Premiership then means our pathway for the younger players has now been set as an academy. So we have an academy, which is UEFA B licence, which is for all the younger boys and girls to play in if they would like to. And that then feeds into the older levels, which is where there's a chance to be paid to be part of a bigger thing. And then we have a grassroots girls section. So when you say pathway and what is our vision, we have anything from under fives up to a 38, 39-year-old player in our men's team. Everything in between is all part of the vision. It's not about can our men do this, can our women do that. I would love to see the under fives, under sixes in 10, 12 years pushing into the under 19s. I want to see the under 12s, under 13s in five, six years pushing on to the highest they can go. And if we can help them and then it helps the community, then that's big for us because it's not just about what can Pontypridd United make out of this. It's what we can help with the whole RCT community. We're the first men's team in 25 years in RCT to get in the Welsh Prem. We're the only women's team in RCT in the Welsh Prem. So we're proud of where we are. We had a couple of years of having to be nomads, so to speak, but that was purely down to having a pitch that would provide the governance that FAW requires. It was never, we're too big for this area, we're too good for this area. But if they can't have floodlights due to council laws, you have to find somewhere that will help us grow this pathway. So now we have the facilities at USW, which are fantastic. We're hoping that will allow us to remain there for years to come. Look at other aspects of how we can grow. But if we can have that involving our partners, involving the community, then it's a pathway for more than just football. Excellent. So obviously I, I'm going to chuck in a, a bit of a um, unscripted um, <gasps> question now. Oh, you tease. Um, I, I do like to tease my guests sometimes. Um, more recently, I was, I, I've been studying for my leadership and masters, uh, leadership and management masters. And one of the uh, one of the questions um, that we were asked to write a, a presentation as well as a, um, a document on was the growth of women's football. Um, and it was fascinating to 
to research the the growth of women's football with you know the lionesses doing as well as they've done um but more importantly is the investment into um women's football now i was really surprised to find out that um barclays were probably one of the largest investors into women's football um and it kind of came out of nowhere because they were prompted to do that off the back of the Lionesses' successes in the Euros. Now, with with your um, you know your la- your ladies' teams and your, and and the growth that there is in women's football, do you still feel that there is um, there's more work to be done from a an inclusion and inclusivity perspective? Is there more that that can be done from a, a visibility perspective. What 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 do you see? What do you see that needs to be done within Pontypridd fo- Football Club specifically? Lionesses winning was fantastic for football, men and women. It was spe- specifically fantastic for our girls because we now have too many girls subscribed to fit in the facilities we have, and we have access to probably the best facilities in Wales, if not further afield. So we can only take as many girls that can fit on a pitch at any hour of the day because that pitch can only be used so many hours of the day. That pitch needs to be sold to other people because we cannot mon- monopolise that area to stop other teams in the community because we yeah. can't say we're community-led and then not allow, or not allow, but have other clubs involved with the same area. Um, the issue we have is that Yes, it's great you've got the young girls starting off with a cartwheel, moving into wanting to learn how to play football, coming out of boys' football, because you can have mixed, wanting to be with all their friends. But the funding is not there right now for women's football anywhere near as much as men's. You mentioned Barclays, but that doesn't always filter down. No. So we, as a men's as a men's team, we don't get that much from above. We get what we get. The women's team get just about as much, so it's what we can find to fit to funnel in, to filter through to as many age groups as possible. So, the issue we have is that men's teams get paid wages. Women's team only as of now. If you watch this, is Wrexham. I was watching it last night. Um, the women's team I thought was fantastic. Nearly the whole hour was dedicated to the women's team. Good, yeah. And it's talking about how they'll be paid and how they'll have this and how they'll have that. But it's you. You cannot just promise people things no, unless course. you have got the finance coming in. Yeah. So we, as a club, several years ago, our women's team in the Welsh Prem were paying subs, and I was like, "That needs to stop." So now they no longer pay subs. Then the next year was how can we help them back? So then we said, "Let's pay expenses for games and pay for their um, their overnight stays." So we're doing that. Next will be how can we pay them a wage? but it cannot be outside the budget we have. So we have set budgets for this year and forecasted the next few years on the basis that, yes, some money from an entity like Barclays may come down, but we need to find more sponsors. So this year, luckily, we found four or five sponsors to go on the kit. Um, so that's very good for us, being we can now finance more for the women. It means if they come to us saying, can we pay for our car parking at the game this weekend because it's not free, Yes, we can. Two years ago, it would have been a no. But now we're, we're now finding ways and means. We're never going to be able to battle with the Wrexhams, the Cardiff cities, because they are what they are. They have the entity of a full-time massive juggernaut of staff behind them. Because don't forget, the whole of Pontypridd United, 
the whole club has one full-time employee, which is our head of the academy. I'm a full-time volunteer, which is why I do consulting. Our marketing team do it whilst working for Paul's company, PPW. There's other people that work virtually full-time for the club for not a penny. We do it for the love of what could be. And how can we help those little five-year-old girls and boys running in for the first session on a four million pound pitch, getting so excited they're doing cartwheels and somersaults. Yeah, yeah. But from the girls' point of view, we're going the right way, but it'll always be behind the men until we can get the finance right. I, I just think it in this day and age, I just think it's utterly, utterly, utterly wrong that the the you know, if we if we measure, dare I say it measure, um, measure between the women's game and the men's game who's been more successful 100 percent. you know and 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 ultimately yes you know these things do boil back down to budget i i completely you know understand that as business people we understand that everything's got to run for a budget but in this day and age of inclusivity and fairness and um and the drive and you know i still cannot believe that the men's game and the women's game is not level I just, I just don't understand it, and you know, there's always that sort of. It's not, it's not segmentation almost, but it, you know, it's it's underrepresentation, and you know, and the amount of money that goes into men's football, um, both Premiership all the way down to grassroots, compared to that of women's football, I just think is is there's a hell of a lot of work that still needs to be done. And I think it's, you know, I think you're doing the right thing with, with, with working with both grassroots all the way up to sort of senior, senior level where, you know, and having teams that are essentially of the same level across the piece, irrelevant of whether irrelevant of gender. Um, and I think the more, cu- the, the more clubs that start doing that and the more businesses that start doing that, it, it can only be a good thing. And, you know, I, I, I'm always very passionate about, you know, banging the drum about employing, you know, more fe- females into the tech sector within coding and, um, but also in, in senior leadership positions. You know, we, we're, we're a company that prides ourselves on that, you know, crikey, uh, outside of me, our entire workforce um, is, you know, sort of 80% led on, the, on, on women because ultimately we are, you know, they are the best people for the roles that we have. And, you know, we, we interview in a very fair, fair way. You know, it doesn't, uh, you know, I even get to the point where we get questionnaires sent through from, from government and asking us to, you know, tick boxes. I refuse to tick them because I think by ticking a box, you're marginalising people further. It shouldn't be who are you it should be who's best for the job absolutely so but what i find funny like i was watching that program last night and that's probably the second time they've ever mentioned a women's team yeah they they showed them the other week when they showed the king visiting and then they actually did an episode and i think it's fantastic what they've done for that football club but it took until that episode to talk about the women's team yeah to me if you're calling your your whole program this is wrexham it didn't say this is wrexham men's no so we all know there's a Wrexham team because we've been seeing them doing well last year. And that's nothing against what they've done, but it's just, that's unfortunately, if you look at Sky TV, if you look on Sky Sports headlines, I think it's fantastic. They show the Welsh Premiership men's results and the table. But do they show the women's? Precisely. No, they don't. It's something so small, but if you're showing the top level of all the country's sports, obviously predominantly 
football, why aren't you showing the women's? Absolutely it's right. It's such a small thing to do. But, and I've, I've learned that more because I took over helping to run the women's team about 18 months ago, not because I wanted to and I was pushing for it, but I was just talking to my daughter one day and I was like, why don't I? If I'm involved with the club, it's the club. Yeah, absolutely. So I do it because I'm proud that my daughter played sport. I'm proud of what the women's team's done. You know, they're flying the flag every week. Forget results, forget everything else, but they're they're turning up every week to play. Why shouldn't they have as much coverage as anybody else? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Right, m- moving on. Um it's just going to be an interesting one, actually, within within football, because um, uh, I, I'm intrigued to understand how how it can work. But we we've spoken with a couple of our guests now about the role of innovation in business. Um, what role does innovation play within the football sector, as well as your own sort of property refurbishment sector? But how can individuals or companies leverage innovation to stay competitive and adapt to evolving market trends good question so i would say it's that lovely word apps how can you talk to everybody who wants to know about the club and about what we do and what other clubs do as quickly and as easily as possible so it's going to be apps But in what way? Is it an app that can talk to all the parents of the academy? Because that's something we have set up. Is it an app talking to all the business partners saying, hey, come to the next game rather than an email, which someone has to write? Is it an app allowing you to pay for a hoodie, a ticket, a water bottle without having to turn up on the day talking to someone and then it's there for you? Apps to me is the way forward where we, if we can minimize the amount of work volunteers have to give but maximize their involvement and love of the game that's going to help us if it helps us to raise money if it helps us to raise awareness that's important it's like i had someone come into the office the other day we're looking to refurbish our offices slightly do some work and i i found a ruler to measure up the wall how to build the walls and i was like it's something basic gives us an idea and then one of our media team had an app on his phone on how you can measure zap so there's me as a 50-plus-year-old man going, I know the technology's there. I just don't want to learn it or use it. And Paul Lee is showing me. So again, in the refurbishment world, suddenly being able to have a phone instead of a laser, instead of a tape measure, and being able to measure a room, to me, will make my life easier the next project I look at. Because I will get that app on my phone. Did I ever think I would have that? No. But if So apps to me, technology... It's how can we use what's available now in the world to make this club move forward? And if I'm going to be looking at an industrial unit next week for one of my business partners, how can I make that visit not as quick as as it can be, but as easy as it can be, as efficient as it can be? And it's going to be apps. It's going to be communication. And I know we talked off camera really about chat GPT. If I could find a way that I could use that to write players' contracts, headache gone. Everything's moving forward and AI is coming on board. The world is moving so fast. All we have to do is make sure we're not left behind. And that's for both football and refurbishment. Yeah, absolutely. I think with, um, you know, ChatGPT, we've spoken about it a lot in, in the previous the previous um, podcast. And we find that ChatGPT can be used 
um, as an all-encompassing sort of um, tool um, or use sparingly for specific reasons. You know, I, you know, I, I think anybody would, would be lying to say that they've never used it. Um, I, I use it quite a bit, but I use it in such a way where it's a time-saving tool for me. So if I'm wanting to, you know, I will draft an email and I will look at it and think, oh, is that a bit waffly? You know, is it, you know, am I being a little bit too sort of pertinent in it, whatever it may be? And I'll put that into ChatGPT and say, reword this email in a more professional tone, for instance. And I'll put it in there and then it will come back and I'll then copy and paste that into the email. But then I will go through said email taking out the bits that are not accurate and also taking out the bits that wouldn't be my sort of style of, of writing. But what that's done is that's probably saved me 15, 20 minutes of drafting time when all I've then got to do is I've, I've drafted it, it's in there, all I've got to do is then change it to make it a bit more me and a bit more my style rather than having to re-read re, re it, reproof it every single time, which takes you 25 minutes to our, you know, anywhere between 25 minutes and an hour. I've never used it. People wow. in the office do, and that's what I like. So I go to the youth, as I call them, and I ask them for their assistance, and they love that. I, I say youth, they're 30, some of them. But to me, you're all youth. You're youth. But <laughs> I've never used it, because I'm of an era that sometimes, if I've got another app on my phone, my head's going to explode. But I know we need them. But that's why you have a team around you that I guarantee our media team probably use ChatGPT every day for anything we send out on socials. I think it's fantastic. But I may never have it on my phone. But I'll have them yeah. utilize. And I'll probably, now I've thought how, I wonder why your emails are so great recently. I'll probably use that, send them my email and say, can you have a look at that for me? Because I could then do a meeting or go and meet a player or go and do... Because what you'll find is with football, there's not many full-time roles I mentioned earlier. So I'm trying to juggle a full-time role whilst also doing my consultancy work. But if I can fit all my emails in and then get them chat GPT'd, I can then go off and do the next visit of a building to look at a property. So that's the more I can do in the hours I want to do leads back to your first question about how do you enjoy your personal life? Well, if technology in that app gives me more time to do things what I want to do. Absolutely right. The youth can do it. It's there. It, I always see AI and machine learning and things like that as a, as a, it's, a ch it's a chance and an opportunity for change, but it's also, it's an opportunity to enhance the process that you've already got, not to replace it. I think there's a lot of people out there who are scared of change. Um, you know, we only have to look at, you know, Lucy Cohen mentioned in, in the previous podcast about how, you know, everybody was, um, you know, getting worried about spell check, that people wouldn't, you know, they, they wouldn't use spell check in Word, they'd never be able to spell again and things like that. And it's the same sort of technological advancements that are just helping, you know, helping the process to be a little bit speedier, a little bit more efficient, to be able to get a little bit more done. And, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of ChatGPT, but sparingly a fan if is probably the best way I could describe it. So on to um, the property bit. Um, you know, obviously property is my thing, so it, it wouldn't be a property podcast without talking about property. So what I want to, uh, what I've asked all of the guests so far is to share their personal experiences of buying or selling property or both um, and kind of share the positives 
as well as the most challenging aspects? And then what you think needs to change and how it potentially could change? I would say the most important part is due diligence. I've been involved with commercial residential buildings where people rush, people don't get the correct surveys done. They don't bother with the EPCs. They don't bother with aspects. They believe they know better than others. So it's surrounding yourself with the experts that can give you the right advice. Sometimes people don't like spending money, but I would rather spend 5,000 pound up front on a building than buy it and find you've suddenly got a massive stone around your neck. So it's surrounding yourself with the right people. It's making sure that even if you haven't got the time in the day, you need to find the time in the day because if you're involved with that building or with the land, you need to make sure that you understand enough when you're in that meeting, you can give the right answers. So I'm looking at land next week with a friend of mine through someone through the football club on behalf of several of the owners. Do I understand that land enough on my own? No. So I'm taking someone with me who understands enough, who can advise me straight away should the next meeting take place. So is that me, Darren? It will be you, Darren. Yeah, there we are. Fabulous. Oh, God. <laughs> it is now. No, it won't. No, but I, it was a phone, call, a phone call I had on the way up. And I was like, yeah. we will come and see you next week. It's yeah. a land that could hold X number of houses. Do I know enough about land from looking at it? No. Do I know if we can build those houses at a good cost? Yes. Can we sell those houses? Yes. But the first instance, anything underground, I bow down to those like yourself Absolutely, who are the experts yeah. because are we all experts of everything? No. We're experts of what we do well, but we need to know enough of other things. And if knowing enough means I know you to call on you or know on an agent to get the agent to do the deal, that's what we do. But there's been positives, there's been negatives. Um, it's taking your time. And when you say what could be good to change, it's timescales. It's when sometimes you do want to move fast, but you're stuck because heads of terms take so long. And I'm not saying it as in, oh, that's so long, but why is it that long? Is it because there's not enough technology or innovation to make it faster? Is there not enough people to do the work quick enough? So is there not enough people coming through training? But that's my biggest bugbear is if I look at a building or land next week and I want to work on it and move forward, I know I'm looking at 10, 12, 14, 16 weeks, not just because of heads of terms, but also then the dreaded planning. So and that can even be longer in some exactly. stages. Yeah. And if you look at a building and you're trying to help that landlord, so we looked at a building last week on behalf of one of the owner's companies, and it was literally, we would love this building. We think we can move forward on this building, but we need to change usage on some of the building. And then you just know that could scupper the whole deal because how long things take. And I know you need to take time, but sometimes it's time for time's sake. So if there's ways and means we can minimize the time scales whilst also not skipping any aspects of that, that would be the biggest change I would love to see. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting because uh, we we spoke about it in, in both Jane um, Jane's podcast as well as Lucy, was the fact that there's all of this data is out there. Um, it's out there in the public domain. It's just a question of... it's The hard part's not getting it in. The hard part is actually analysing it to have really come to a 
very sensible decision on whether it is worth to go for or not. A lot of a lot of agents and a lot of sort of property professionals over the years are are guilty of the fact of telling the purchaser or the prospective purchaser what they want to hear um, instead of having that honest, brutal conversation about saying, look, actually, do you know what? You don't want to be buying this because this is what we would call a dog. You know, this is this is something that's going to be going to be a money pit, it's going to have underlying issues, it's got this, it's got that, the background of it, etc. is this and this. So it's it's so important when it comes to due diligence on on any property, be it a second-hand property that you're buying, a new build, a piece of land, a commercial entity, it's, it, it doesn't really matter what type. The 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 saying I always, always lead back to is this is not a five grand car loan. You know, if it's a residential property, odds are you're probably going to need a mortgage to buy it. You know, that mortgage is going to be two, three, four hundred thousand pound mortgage. You know, it's something that you're going to be paying back for 25 years, 30 years in some cases. And and I think the the need within the realtor, the, the real estate market, especially if we take estate agents, you know, it's a bit of a fleeting statement to say that all estate agents are bad because they're not. There's some pockets of brilliance, but unfortunately, estate agents do have that kind of that kind of persona almost that's been inflicted on to be imposed on them about you know. You know, the, the, you know, one above sort of second can car salesman sort of thing, which is which is unfair to the good ones, if I'm honest, because, you know, it tars every every estate agent with the same brush. However, when you when you walk into a property sometimes and, uh, you know, I got I got a couple of pet hates with with agents when you've got a uh, a young estate agent who's recently just qualified from a degree or come out of college or just moving into a negotiate position, they're very, very poorly paid. They're, they're incentivized by, um, you know, mortgage leads, um, conveyancing leads, um, valuations, all of this sort of nitty gritty stuff. And, you know, they, they, they come into a property and oh, this is the lounge, this is the bedroom and, and this is the kitchen. And you, and you feel, I feel morally obliged sometimes to turn around and say, no shit, it's a kitchen because it's got a kitchen side. You, you know, I get that. But why has it got to be it? Precisely. Why can't, it, why can't it be something else? Absolutely. I've learnt that you don't walk in a building looking at what it is now. You've got to be able to see what it will become. So I, one of my pet hates is when they say to you, would you like to see the lounge? And I was like, how do you know it's going to be the lounge? Precisely. It could, could be, be a dining room. You don't it know. could be a bedroom. Yeah. I could be turning this into a HMO. You don't know. Just say, go and have a look. And the agents are on a, a commission of some sort. Yeah. They have to get you on board. When it's land, which I know you're involved with heavily, what I don't like is when an agent will try and convince you the land's worth it because how much the house is worth at the end. Absolutely. How do you know how much those houses are worth in a year or two? Just be honest and say, there could be a crash. There could be COVID. There could be things that could affect this. So maybe we have to rein in the price now and potentially add on a retrospective additional fee once we know what the houses are worth. Because that's one of my biggest bugbears is when I've got friends that buy land, they do houses, they're told the house is worth this much, but then when it comes to selling them, they're 20, 30,000 pound a house down, but they've paid up front for the land what they believe they'll make. And this is this is one of the, I completely agree with you. It's a massive bugbear because I often get landowners come to come to us at DCW and say, I've got this land, this is how much it's worth, 
can you sell it for me? And the first thing I will do is I'll go and have a look at the land, meet the owner, and then run sort of work through the background of how they've got to that number. And yes, you do have to have a form of gross development value or GDV for, for short. You've got to have a, an idea on what that GDV is in order to give you a sort of a steering point on what the residual land value is going to be. However, what what you should always bear bear in mind is if you are getting a piece of land from an estate agent, for instance, they a large proportion of the estate agent won't understand how to actually value that land. They will just think it's a third, a third, and a third, which most people always always say. But in reality, that is not the case. You know, they value it and say, right, okay, that's how much the land is going to be worth with the houses built on it. Say it's 10 million quid um, gross development value. Um, so 25% of that is X. You know, and then they say, that's what we'll put it on the market for. Is it? No, 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 it doesn't work like that. You don't know how much challenges there are in the ground. You don't know how much planning is going to cost. You don't know all of the other costs that are involved. You know, do do they understand how much a quantity surveyor charges? You know, they don't know. Half the time it's a percentage of the GDV. And why do they do that? Because they know how big the GDV is. So it's it's all about what we what we try and do here is to try and kind of demystify that process by asking very, very tough questions and being very, very upfront with them in the first place and say, right, why, you know, if you're saying that your land is worth five million quid, tell me why you think it's worth five million quid. How have you got to that number? Because there's no point in us pursuing that land for, on behalf of that client, wasting marketing pounds and time and effort on it if it's never going to get to that value. You know, we work very closely with the Registered Institute of Chart Surveyors, obviously being a, a Rick's tech partner. And, you know, we try to use the residual land calculator that Rick's provide because it's in an exhausting process, but it basically you're showing data to the landowner saying, look, this is what I think it's worth and this is the reason why and here's the proof. The problem you've got is lots of landowners or either could inherit it, they could somehow it falls on their lap. They're not landowners per se multiple times. So we had one recently where this gentleman asked if the land wanted to be bought, it's looked at and it's literally a slanted hill. If it was a flat piece of land, it's worth the money. But they've just gone by how large is the land, how much can I get for it? But we know it's not worth probably half of what's been asked. And fortunately, the amount of work to level that out and turn it yeah, into technical property work, yeah. is much more than would be other land you can find that's flat. I love flat land, but I actually like land that's slightly lot flat because some people look at the headaches and go, how do I get that done? How do you engineer the and value? The, yeah. the plus of Pontypridd United, because obviously that's who I am and what I do predominantly now, we have a fantastic business club, business network, which thank you, you're part of. We can call upon people like yourself people that can do the works who want to come and help me or help other business owners who are either part of the club or not. So we can call upon virtually any aspect of a project to come and look at it. So I can do that probably easier than other people first time looking at land. So I like there to be a few issues because 30% of those that could bid on that land won't because they don't want the headaches. Absolutely right. So I, I'm happy to lose a third of my competition because it could be not like you said, a dog of land, but a little bit of a puppy. I'll buy the puppies because we can turn that into something better. And turn it into a Great Dane sort of exactly. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Excellent. Okay, so we get to the point now where we um, have a question from our previous guest. Um, Bring it on. And then we obviously give you the opportunity then to ask the question of the next guest. So the previous guest was Lucy Cohen from Mazuma Money. So um, Lucy asked, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, it's not word for word, but um, at what moment did you realise that you had been successful and what was that defining moment? So there's two ways of looking at that. Successful as a person. My kids are happy, safe, healthy, going through university, surprisingly, one of them. Um, working through to become an accountant, one of them. So as, a, as me, the personal me, I'm successful because of what I have achieved with my family, with the people around me. And I can't use a D word, but okay, <laughs> I'm not a dick. To me, if people look at me and think you're not nice, I'm not successful in that way. I don't need to be loved. I don't need to be liked. But I like the fact that if I haven't upset people and I have done what I think is best for me, the people around me, family and friends and others, to me, that's how I rate success, the personal side. The professional side, the success is, am I able to be at a table with people bigger and better than me because they warrant or they want to listen to what I say and have me involved in what we do. So that to me is a success. It's never about a pound sign. Am I as rich as other people? No. Will I ever be as rich as other people? Maybe. But to me, I my gauging success is, am I happy in life with everybody around me and who's involved with me? Yes. Could the football club do better? Yes, we could be top of the table beating TNS every time we play them. So success that way is how I will achieve or how we will achieve that. But me personally, as long as I'm happy in life and I'm involved in decisions that could involve buying land or building a building, that to me is, I'm in a better position now than where I was many years ago when I was coming through as a PE teacher. So to me, I'm successful wherever happens. Perfect. Lovely. Okay. Your turn. What question do you have for our next guest? So, um... It could be anything, anything and everything. And who is the next guest? Our next guest is Sir Peter Wall, the ex-head of the British Army. I've never met him. A lovely fella. I know, but I might be You'll meeting meet him. You'll meet him at Beaujolais Day. So. I know, so I'm thinking if I was <laughs> never going to meet him, that would be one question. If I have to now meet him in the future and look him in the eye, <laughs> that's taken about 30 questions out of my head. So I would say... He, he must obviously be involved in property, involved in that aspect of life in some way, shape or form. I always look at any building I drive past or I look at places around thinking, what would I do with that? Or how could I make that building better? I probably couldn't. But how could I do something that makes it spin? And it's exciting for me to think that office block opposite, that flat over there, would I have done that colour? Would I have done the windows that shape? So I'd say... If there was any building in the world, in the history of the world, that he could not knock down, but start again and rebuild, why would he do it? And what would he do? Would he turn the White House into the Blue House? Would he turn, <laughs> would he turn the Taj Mahal into something totally different? Would the Sphinx no longer be looking like that? What building or entity would he change and why? Super. Well, Darren, it's been a pleasure 
as always. Same to you, um, Dean. Thank you I for like, having me. Uh, I like throwing some random questions at you to see uh, see how you react, which is always encouraging. Um, Bring it on. For, for all of the um, uh, viewers on the channel, um, how do they um, reach out to you? How do they learn more about Pontypridd Football Club? And how do they, more importantly, how do they get involved? So we would love to take on board more people or bring on board people that would like to help as a volunteer or help as a business partner or just come and find out more about us. We have um, a website, we have social media handles. I'm more than happy to pass those on to you because I have to memorize them all now, too many. But just contact me. And even though there's many of us involved within the club, I try and be the person they can contact because, as I said to you, I'll always get back to people. You, you have to take the good, the bad and the ugly. So if someone's ringing me to complain, you answer the phone. If someone's ringing to say thank you, you answer the phone. So if anybody wants to come on board and just have a chat about the club, I'll always answer. I'll do the emails. And by all means, come down to University of South Wales Sport Park. We have a game for the men's on Saturday, at 5.15 kickoff, which will be live on Scorior Facebook, Scorior YouTube, which is against Hanford West. Big game. The women's team are away this weekend, but then they're back at home next weekend. So pop along to a game. Just come and have a look at what we do. And if that infuses you to want to be involved, then we've done our job. Perfect. Darren, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.